pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 288. Today I'm going to chat with Mary Forges and highlight something new from HK. I'm your host, Ava Flanell. Mary, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Of course. You're on the East Coast, right? I am. I'm in Connecticut, unfortunately. Okay. Well, Connecticut, I've been to Connecticut when I lived in New York. And I mean, it's better than New York or New Jersey. But how's the weather over there? Is it pretty cold? It's been pretty cold, but it's been a mild winter. We haven't had any snowstorms really. So hmm. for the most part, it's been mild, just freezing. Nice. Yeah. See, if it's going to be cold, I'm like, at least snow. <laughs> yes. You know, I don't know. That, that would be ideal. Although I say that, and then I've said this previously, like on other podcasts, my house that I bought in September, it faces north. So maybe don't snow, actually, because that shit doesn't melt for like days. <laughs> <laughs> it's horrible. All right. So before we start talking about everything that you do and all the many hats that you wear, I'm going to talk about Smith & Wesson real quick. I hate to limit guns for what they are and just be like, oh, this is a great beginner gun. This is if, you know, you lack hand strength. This is if you're going hunting. But ultimately, I will say that the equalizer is kind of the best of both worlds. I've noticed it's really great for beginners. A lot of my beginner students love it. And then it's also a great gun if you're looking to make just one purchase, but you want something that you could use for home defense, but also concealed carry. And I'm talking about the equalizer. So what's great about the equalizer is it's easy to rack slide, just like the shield easy, but just like the shield plus, so I'd say it's a mix between two, it can hold up to 15 rounds. So it has the larger capacity, but depending on what magazine you put in it, it could hold anywhere from 10 to 13 to 15 rounds and it shoots really well. It's just, I don't know, it's just a really nice mix. So if you wanted to conceal carry, I'd say use like the 10, 13 round magazine, but if you wanted it for home protection, you get home, maybe insert the 15 round magazine. It shoots really well. It's optic ready. It has really nice big serrations for like a nice good grip to rack it. It doesn't have the easy tabs on the magazine like the Shield Easy does, but Smith & Wesson includes a Maglula speed loader to make it easier to load. And best of all, MSRP on this is $599, so it's a pretty good deal for a good quality gun. If you guys want to check this out, head on over to smith-wesson.com. Learn the things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. All right. So Mary, you wear so many hats and I'm so impressed by all the things that you do. I'm just like, yes, girl, rock it. <laughs> but that's mutual, by the way. Oh, thank you. <laughs> For people who've never heard of you, just give us kind of a rundown of like all the things that you do in this industry. Sure. As far as in this industry, so I'm the Connecticut state director for the DC project, which is Women for Gun Rights. It was founded by Diana Muller, who is a retired police officer out of Oklahoma, and she's a three-gun competition shooter. So I also am an instructor for simunition scenarios at a facility 
training facility in Florida, located West Orlando, Florida, and it's called WOFT. And W-O-F-T stands for where our family trains. Nice. And additionally, here in Connecticut, I am involved with the CCDL, which is Connecticut um, Citizens Defense League, which is a, a grassroots, nonpartisan, two-way community. And I've, um, yeah, I've, I've helped about a few dozen people at least in the in the past few years with getting their permits and then also with getting additional training. Very nice. And then you're also a columnist for Armed Lifestyle Magazine, right? I am. That's um that's a new hat that I just got. <laughs> so okay. I reached out to the the founder a few months ago, right after Shot Show, because the past few years when I've attended Shot Show. I'm always under another business to be able to attend for media day. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to have my own credentials and be able to create my, my own brand sort of, yeah. and be my own identity when I attend shot show in the future. So I reached out to the founder of arm lifestyle and I said, Hey, can I write for you? And he said, absolutely. I've been waiting for you to ask. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so so that's where I'm at there. Very cool. And then you're also, I mean, I guess not really in the industry, but emergency dispatcher and then a mental health crisis aid and anything else that I left out? I am. So I am an emergency dispatcher for local police department. So I do police, fire and medical. So we do every single 911 call that's coming in and all the routine calls. So I deal with a lot of different life situations wow. with different individuals there. I as you mentioned, a mental health crisis aid, that's just something I do more so on my own ends. Every other year, I I recertify to be able to communicate with people that are dealing with different traumatic or crisis situations. So that way, if they choose to reach out to me, or if I'm in a position where, you know, I'm in the grocery store and somebody's having, you know, a mental breakdown, then I'm able to communicate with them effectively and calm them down. So that certification has helped in different areas throughout life. So that's why I stay on top of that. And then I also am a small business owner. So I have a marketing company that I focus on digital marketing, but also consulting small businesses on what formula might work for them to be more successful. Very cool. Good for you for just doing all of it. I'm really impressed. Um, And then also you did write in your bio that you are a single mother. Was it teenagers? Yes. Which I have I, a, that is so hard for me to believe because I'm just like, uh, like how old are you? I was thinking you were like I, in your twenties. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm pushing 40. I'm almost 40 years old and I have a 16 year old and soon to be 13 year old. Both are very active in sports. So with everything I already have going on, they're still the number one priority, making sure that, you know, my daughter does competitive cheerleading and the next three weekends we have to travel for that. And then my son plays soccer and baseball. So there's a lot going on there and 100% single mom. So Mm -hmm. nice. And then also you did mention, so you're a violent crime survivor and I'm sure that this is pretty touchy, but could you share your experience with us? And just kind of walk us through that. Absolutely. So we'll go back. So November 15th of 2019. So right before COVID, Mm -hmm. um, it was a Friday night, nine o'clock at night. I had just begun working a marketing side job at a local gun store that week. Mm -hmm. So I was at a full-time career in the restaurant industry, but I took this on as a side job because 
this was where I actually started to get interested in firearms. So I started that job that week. And it was, again, that Friday evening, I had just sent a text to my boss thanking him for trusting me with his brand and that I was looking forward to watching the business succeed and grow. My daughter, who was 13 at the time, she was at the movies with her friends. And my son was at a sleepover. I was home alone with my two dogs. I was on the second floor of my home in my bedroom. And I heard a pretty, I heard a pretty hard bang, but also the house shook a little bit. So I thought honestly that my coffee mug rack that I had hanging in the kitchen had fallen off the wall because I had done it once before. Mm-hmm. And being a single mom, I didn't really, I probably didn't install you know, it properly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm like, like oh, so I'm like, girl, preach. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, so I was like, dang it. Like it happened again. So I tossed my phone to the side of my bed and I went downstairs into my kitchen and it was not the coffee, coffee mug rack. It was a man standing in my kitchen. So he was, he had broken in through the back door. He was standing there. He was pale, sweaty. He was obviously cold because it was middle of November in New England, but he did not look healthy, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, I looked into his eyes and he he was clearly looking at me, but also seeing right through me as mm-hmm. if there was nobody home in his head. Mm-hmm. His pupils were almost non-existent. They're completely pinned and he looked angry. So he looked at me like he was on a mission to do some harm. Um, I could tell that this obviously was not a a good situation to be in because this guy just broke into my home. Mm-hmm. Um, so I began to like back up from my kitchen and head back up the stairs. And I told him just, I said, hold on one second. I'm going to help you. Cause he's, he started to mumble about something. Um, I said, I'm going to help you. And then I went upstairs to go get to my phone. Cause again, I had thrown it onto my bed. So as I went upstairs, I could hear him rambling about a piece of paper that he was looking for. He was talking about how he had just been discharged from a rehab facility earlier that day which actually was on the opposite side of the state. Wow. But he had been discharged that day and that they had diagnosed him with stage four liver cancer. So I'm at the same time, I'm going upstairs to my room to get my phone and I turn around and I, I made the mistake of going, starting to go back down the stairs just to kind of get eyes onto him mm-hmm. to find out where he was. And at that point I did have my phone in my hand and I had it open to call 911, but he was coming up the stairs mm. and I said, hold on, I'm going to help you. You know, I'm, I'm telling him I'm going to help you hold on. And I'm trying to use my verbal judo that I've learned from my mental health crisis yeah. um, classes. And instead he just, he kept on walking at me and then he, he kind of put his arm, you know, he gestured with his hands for me to walk in front of him. And I was like, holy shit, this guy's going to push me down the stairs. Like that was my first thought is like, he wants me to walk in front of him because he's going to push me down the stairs and he's Mm going to have control. Like I knew that he had very bad intentions. Spidey senses were going. So Mm -hmm. I turn around, I go back into my room. I said, you know, as I'm walking into my room, I said, you just have to give me a minute. This doesn't feel okay. And I think when I verbally said it doesn't feel okay, then he knew that I was scared. Mm -hmm. And I shut my door quickly and it was a kind of like a sliding bolt lock that went from the door, obviously to the frame. Mm -hmm. And as I shut that, his body, he slammed his body up against the opposite side of the door to get into my room. And I ran to the other side of my room, back over to my bed. And so I had my phone open at that time. And I, I didn't realize that you could press two buttons on your phone to call 911 quickly. So I, 
Instead, at the top of the phone where the text message was, I tapped on the person's icon and then I hit call because I was like, I just need to have somebody on the phone right now. Mm-hmm. And I thought that it would take more time to, you know, exit out of the texting app and then open the call and then dial 911. Like the whole process of calling 911, I was like, that's going to take too long. I just need somebody on the phone that's going to hear what's going on so they can get the police to me, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, I get the person on the phone or I, I end up hitting call and the phone starts ringing. And at the exact same time, uh, this guy, he bangs, uh, he slams through my door. So he, with the force of his body, he was able to project that lock from the door frame to the opposite side of my room, which later the police found it on the other side of my room. And as soon as he came in, he, he paused for a second, I think to maybe catch his breath because I'm sure it took a lot out of him to be able to come through that door. So he paused for a second and he just looked like he wanted me dead at that point. So he runs after me and he pushes me down onto the bed and he begins to, um, he begins to choke me. He begins strangling me. Oh my God. And between strangling me, you know, I'm, I'm struggling and he's hitting me in the face and then back to strangling me. And my, my left hand was gripping, like my fingers were wrapped around his hands, trying to get his hands off of my neck. And my right hand still had my phone in my hand. So it was completely, if, if you could picture it, it's, I'm on my back and my right hand's completely over, stretch out as far as it can. So that way he doesn't hear this person on the phone in case if they answer. So, but also again, with my left hand, I'm pulling the, his hands off of my neck. Then when the, when the voicemail picked up, cause the person didn't pick up. So when the voicemail picked up, it got this guy's attention where he stopped strangling with his hands and he put his right forearm onto my throat. And with his left hand, he began to pry the phone out of my, my right hand. So his body weight shifted a little bit and I realized I had an advantage. So I, you know, I I began to struggle a little bit more, try to maneuver my body from out from underneath him. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, he's, you know, he's prying my fingers off the phone. And I'm like, I don't care if he breaks my fingers, I'm not going to let go of this phone because this is this phone right now is my, my life support, you know, Mm -hmm. and something, you know, this is all happening very quickly. And I'm just picturing like, what is my daughter going to see when she comes home from the movies? What is my face going to look like? She's going to come home. I'm dead. Like, what is, how, how's that going to be for her? And again, it's like such a split second that all those thoughts are going through your head. And then I'm like, shit, like she's going to come home from the movies and she's going to look like this. She's going to be that next victim. And I don't, I don't know if you have kids, but as soon as I pictured her being that next victim, that's where I was like, I, I have to full fight. Like, this isn't just a a struggle where I'm trying to get away from this person, but now I have to fight for my daughter's life. Mm -hmm. So I dropped the phone knowing that at that moment, his focus was on the phone to be able to hang it up. So that way this, whoever's on the other line couldn't hear him. And I dropped the phone between the bed and the wall where he would have to struggle to try to get it, to hang it up. And that gave me the advantage where, his, you know, he shifted a lot of his body weight to his left side. And I was able to, I punched him a bunch of times in his right side with my left fist. And I was able to get out from underneath him. And I ran across my, my room and opened the, uh, open the dresser where my gun was and I turned around and I aimed it at him and he, he, you know, turns around, he sits up, he, he hangs up the phone and then he just kind of, he laughs. There's like an eerie laugh and I'm aiming my gun at him. Like, like I never thought I'd be in this situation. Like you don't 
plan for it. Some people, you know, you'll, you'll train for it, but you never actually think it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sitting there and uh, that's sitting there. I'm standing there. And he, so he has that eerie laugh. He says, are you going to shoot me? And I didn't say anything because I'm processing in my head. Am I going to shoot this person? Mm-hmm. And then he's, you know, he says again, are you going to shoot me? And I said, if, if you move, I'm going to shoot you. So, or if you move, yes. So he sat there and I was like, I have full control over the situation right now. He has my phone. I can't call anybody. So I ran out my bedroom door, realizing that at that point, my my bedroom door is to my left, but it's closer to me than it was to him. So I didn't have to run past him to get to it. Mm-hmm. So I ran out the bedroom door to the bathroom right across the hall. And as soon as I shut that, you know, I slid that lock to lock the bathroom door. And I realized it's the same lock that was on my bedroom door that he just broke through. So that, you know, I'm in a smaller space at that point. And that gave me a lot less confidence with my situation, even though I did have my gun. And then I could hear him kind of like mumbling and talking to himself again, like how he was, you know, when I heard him talking in the kitchen. So I, I could tell by where he was talking that he was still in my room. So I cracked the door open and I just quickly ran down my, my stairs out the front door to the neighbor's house. I was, you know, again, middle, middle of November, freezing weather, barefoot in shorts and a t-shirt with a gun in my hands, hoping that whoever drove by would see me and be like, there's a, you know, there's a lady running with a gun and that maybe they would be able to call the police and get the police to me quicker. Mm -hmm. So do you, do you mind if I ask, so do you, you didn't live in a neighborhood? It was, it was more like kind of middle of nowhere or what was that? what was the setup like where you lived? Was there neighbors close by or were they kind of far? Neighbors were close by. So one of the, the building to one, one side of my house was a church. So there was nobody there. And then the other side was my neighbor, but there was a chain link fence that divided our property. So I had to, even though I ran out the front door, my neighbor would use their back door as their primary door. Mm-hmm. And they had, in their living room, they had a dresser that was up against the front door. So they never used that front door. So I knew that that wasn't going to be an option. So I had to run up that chain link fence, you know, up the driveway to the back door and just bang on that glass back door. So it wasn't a long run, but it, it felt like an eternity because I didn't know if he was behind me. Yeah. Wow. And so then I'm assuming you went to your neighbor's house and they opened the door eventually. Yes. So I I started banging on the neighbor's door. His name was Tom. He ends up opening the door. I said, I was just attacked. I need you to call the police. And he, you know, he, he stood there for a second because he was a bit stunned and Mm -hmm. I don't think he didn't know what to do. So I said, again, I need you to call the police. I was just attacked. And as I'm talking to him, I look over to my left and I see this guy that had just attacked me. You know, he comes walking out the back door that he just came through and again, that chain link fence is separating us or dividing us, but I see him very calmly light up a cigarette. Like I see the amber from his cigarette light up and he was just a completely different person than he was, you know, that, that 30 seconds prior. Wow. And then what happened? So then I went back down the driveway, back in through my front door with my gun, you know, up and ready as I'm entering the door with it aimed at the back door in case if he came back through. I knew the cops were coming at that point. I could see from where I was in my house, looking through my living room window, through my dining room dining room window, I could still see that he was still still in the backyard. 
and that I knew that there was a distance and I obviously wasn't going to approach him. And I honestly didn't know what to do with him other than just to let him be in that moment. Mm -hmm. So when the police did arrive, it took um, about 10 minutes because they with they getting dispatched and then showing up. And then the, the officer, the responding officer had only been there for about a month with our police department. He was actually a transfer. So when he responded, he drove past our house and then he came back down the road. So didn't come directly to the address, but the, so he's, you know, this guy was standing in the backyard and the officer comes to the front door and I let the officer know, you know, I, ha- I have my gun sitting on the steps there. I put it on the steps going up to my house because, or up to my bedroom, because I didn't want to answer the door with a gun in my hand to the police. Yeah. So I said, you know, just to let you know, I do have a gun right there. And they, they were able to arrest him. And at first he started to run because when they drove by, it kind of gave him the heads up that they were going to be coming right back, obviously. So he started to run and they ended up getting him and he was arrested. And then with all of that had just happened for some reason he was able to bond out he had a i believe a sister i believe it was a sister from massachusetts because he was from boston massachusetts area and she ended up bonding him out and part of those part of the conditions of being able to be released was obviously you can't go back to wherever you just you know you go back to this victim's house and at 3 30, 4 o'clock in the morning, I get a text from one of my friends that was patrolling my area. And he said, Hey, we just arrested that guy again. He was, you know, he was sitting on the front steps of your house. Oh my gosh. So, yeah. So it, it actually ended up, there was like a, a minor news article that was in like the local, I'm going to say digital paper, you know, mm-hmm. online. Yeah. But it does say, you know, man, man arrested twice within eight hours. So, yeah. So he, he had returned again and I'm assuming to do more damage. I'm not really sure, but wow. it was definitely a, a life altering incident. So do you look back at that day and think about mistakes that were made or like things that you would have done differently? Absolutely. Yeah. I think, and cause even as you're telling me the story, I'm just like, why, you know, so you go right. downstairs, you see that there's, you know, somebody in your house, like, why wouldn't you just run out? Instead of going back upstairs, getting your phone. But I think that that's how we're programmed to think is like, okay, our phone is like our only lifeline as opposed to putting distance between you and the attacker or just like escaping the situation. And I teach that in my class all the time. Like if you can escape, if you can avoid it, like absolutely take that route. Um, Right. That's another thing is that, you know, at the time I was, I was a gun owner, but you know, I just had my permit. I had the basic training mm-hmm. just to get my permit. And I never took additional training. And in that situation, you know, I, I'm thinking like, oh, like I'm a mental health crisis aid. I'll be able to talk to this person. Yeah. And since that night, I have to be honest, like I try not to get involved <laughs> with any situations that, you know, you know, I, I kind of program myself that I can't help everybody yeah. or most people, you mm-hmm. know? So since that incident happened, you know, later in 2020, I ended up taking over you know, a year later, I ended up taking over the, the training department at, by that point for a local gun store. And, you know, since then now, now I'm doing simunition training down at WAFT where I'm teaching these people like, Hey, don't make these same, same mistakes. And those spidey senses are real and get away from this person, mm-hmm. you know? So now I'm able to teach people to 
remove themselves from the situation. Yeah, absolutely. And then also, I just want to, I didn't want to interrupt you when you were telling the story, but after you went to your neighbors and you called Landon one, you went back to the house alone. I did. Okay. Yeah. So then I would have just stayed at your neighbor's house. But again, it's probably one of those things where you just take comfort in your own house. Right. And, and not to mention, like you said, you're wearing like shorts, a t-shirt, no shoes, and you have a gun. (laughs) So you probably also weren't that comfortable either, but yeah, I couldn't even imagine. And it's so scary. So go ahead. I think, I think also because, I mean, looking back at it, I don't even recall the neighbor saying like, Oh, come in the house or anything. Like he didn't even offer for me to come into the house. And I don't think it's because he was trying to be offensive or anything. I don't think he knew how to deal with that situation either. Yeah. So he was like, you know, he starts nodding saying, okay, okay. Like he's going to call the police, but he didn't say come into the house or anything like that. And so, and he just had like the screen door between himself and I, and at no point did he open it. So I'm like, I don't, looking back at it, I don't know if I, what I should have done. I know. Yeah. Open the door with a gun and go into his house. That's so, that's so weird too, because you think that people's instinct would kick in to like help another person. Like, Oh my God, you were just attacked. Like, come on in, you know? Right. And that is a weird reaction. And yeah, I don't know what I would do either. If he just kept the door between us, like the screen door, like, okay, thanks. That's awkward. Have you ever talked to him again? Like since this happened? I did talk to him, you know, here and there, we weren't like close neighbors or anything like that. Um, so he ended up moving, I'm going to say during mid 2020, he moved down to the Carolinas. So we would touch base on it every now and then he would ask me, you know, cause there was like an ongoing trial for it and it was put on hold because COVID ended up hitting. So he would ask me about like what was going on with the case. Mm -hmm. Other than that, it's not like we were like close neighbors or anything like that. Yeah. Interesting. What was the case with this guy? Did you find out like a little bit more of the backstory? What ended up happening to him? Like, is he in jail now? So from, so he ended up dying. So in April of 2021, I found out that he had died from an overdose in a, in a hotel up in the Boston area. I'm not really sure what town. I just know it's like one of the outskirts, outskirt towns of Boston. Mm -hmm but he ended up um, dying up there. He was, unfortunately, he was a uh, two-time Purple Heart veteran. He was in the Marines. And that alone, you know, that that kind of pulled at me in an awkward way because my, my brother is a Marine combat mm-hmm. veteran and he struggled with alcoholism. And it was a very, very, very surreal situation, I'm going to say. Mm-hmm. Damn. Yeah. I can only imagine at that point, you know, you kind of look back and you're like, wow, this guy, you know, did a lot for our country. At one point he probably was a decent person and, you know, and I'm sure everything that he experienced, it probably was hard, which is why I'm like, I get so mad when there's just not a lot of resources for mental health. And now with everything going on, all the proposed bills and stuff and red flag laws increasing, it's like, you're almost hesitant to get any help. But I could understand how you're kind of put between like a rock and a hard place where you sort of feel bad for your attacker. Like you might even kind of second guess like how things played out. But then on the other side, you know, you want justice to be served. And then especially the fact that after he was arrested, he gets bailed out and then he shows back up at your house. Right. I I would have to say, honestly, I don't feel bad for him. Again, even though my brother struggled with alcoholism, I can't possibly, I don't feel bad for somebody that attacks 
me and that my kids could have been harmed or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't sympathize much. I could, I, I'm more so interested in the psychology behind it. I'm going to say, yeah. but it's not something where I sympathize and I'm like, Oh, you know, things could have been better for you because I mean, he, he didn't have to attack me. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely. You know. Yeah, I get it. I do think that that is something that people struggle with. And just recently, so I took the USCCA instructor class and not that I really need the credential, but it was offered to me free of charge. It was, I I say it was free, but it also took like almost 30 hours of my time (laughs) Um, because we had to do the e-learning and then the classroom and it was like 7 a.m. to 6 p.m. both days and it was just long. But I did actually learn quite a bit in that class. What I liked about this, as opposed to like the NRA instructor classes, like one, a lot of the information was not outdated like it is with the NRA, but it also talked about, you know, even the aftermath. Okay, so you used your gun, but you also have to, you know, realize that a lot of people, you have to live with the fact that like you just pulled your gun on somebody and shot them. And whether it took their life or not, let's say it does take their life, you still have to live with the fact that you did that. And I think a lot of people with, you know, decent head on their shoulder, they might be thinking like, what if, or what happened to them in their life that they did this? Could it have been resolved? Like, you know, you kind of have mixed feelings and I can completely understand that, but it is good that you don't feel, you know, you don't feel bad. Like, I think you definitely did the right thing. It's, it's bizarre because since the incident happened, the number one question I get is well why didn't you why didn't you kill him why didn't you shoot him and i have to say it's because i i don't think we have intentions to take somebody else's life like mm-hmm. we don't want to we don't yeah. want to take another human being's life we just want to defend our own life absolutely right? so in that moment knowing that i had control over it you know we we are the good people with the guns we don't mm-hmm. use our firearms or as a weapon to take a life so that's kind of my argument on it. Cause a lot of people, they'll look at me sideways. Like, Oh, I, I would have just killed him. I just would have shot him. And I'm just like, I don't know if you would have like, yeah. I don't know if people would have actually done that. And, I know. And it's and really, then, it's not the mentality that people should have gun owners should not have that. And it's the same thing where, you know, a lot of students in my class, I always tell people like, Hey, somebody breaks in your house here in Colorado, the castle doctor and the statute says that aside from them unlawfully entering your home, they have to commit a crime or you have to have reason to believe that they have committed a crime before or after. And they're just like, well, screw that. They broke in my house. They're dead, you know? And it's like, you shouldn't have that mentality. Like, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't have a right to protect ourselves if somebody breaks into our house, but you know, I got to believe they put this statute into place because people were just, you know, the drunk neighbor who confuses your house for his or the kid who's sneaking out. They sneak back in. The parent confuses him for an intruder. Essentially, the statute just wanted you to take a step back and assess the situation. But it's crazy to me how people are so quick to be like, nope, I would shoot them. And that is something that you are going to have to live with. And if you think that the law works in favor of the law abiding citizen, it does not. So if you have to use your gun, whether you kill them or not, if there's a gun involved, you're typically going to, you know, you might get put in jail until they figure out what exactly happened. You're going to get your gun taken away. You may or may not get it back. If you do, it's going to be like years later. But it's I mean, if you could just avoid it and also just not to mention the legal fees involved, like, why wouldn't you, you know, if you could avoid and we never know what's going on in people's lives. We don't know if they're mental, if they're on drugs or, you know. 
I don't know, I'd say unless you really are defending yourself or another person, I personally, I would avoid it. I don't right. want to use my gun if I don't have to. So I get it. Yeah, we're definitely on the same page, like across the board, everything you just said. Yeah. Same yeah. I'm going to take a quick break real quick. Talk about Mantis. Dry firing is excellent. It's, you know, just a great way to practice with your gun so that you're able to stay on top of your skills. But obviously you don't want to dry fire if you don't have good skills, if you don't have like a solid foundation. And I also think that at times it could get kind of boring. You're just like sitting there, you know, racking your slide. Okay, cool. You know, press the trigger, rack the slide, reset the trigger. But Mantis made a way where it like makes it a lot more fun because their app allows you to do like friendly competitions with people that you know. And so you guys can both get on there, do it at the same time. And then it makes it a little bit more fun because you're competing with your friend, you're doing it with them. And then on top of that, unlike just dry firing, Mantis X gives you like feedback on what you're doing wrong so that you don't continue to create bad habits, jerking the trigger, anticipating the shot and so forth. They have a bunch of different stuff out there. Like they have the X, the X3, the, the X7 and the X10. And then they also have the Blackbeard or the Blackbeard X. But what's great about the X system is it does give you that feedback on what you're doing wrong. And it's not limited to just like handguns or rifles. You could also use it on shotguns, even bow and arrow. I would definitely recommend check it out. You can find their products at mantisx.com. How much later on did you join up with the DC project and you know, and start testifying, representing them. So it was June, May or June of 2021. Um, Holly Sullivan from the CCDL, who's also on the board for the DC project. She came in and spoke with um, a group of women that I was doing firearm training with at our gun range. And that's when she mentioned the DC project. So that's spring of 2021. October of 2021, they invited me to Big Daddy Unlimited in Gainesville, Florida for a summit that they were holding for their DC project state delegates. At that time, I was more so a story, a, you know, a testimony for, for the DC project. Mm -hmm. And then early 2022, so just a little over a year ago, right after SHOT Show actually is when I became more involved and I was asked to be the state director. And since then, I've only testified twice. Last year, you know, in 2022, I testified via Zoom. And then this year, about two weeks ago, I testified in person for the state for the first time at our state capitol, which was quite the experience. <laughs> I, I was supposed to be the third in line out of 166 testimonies and the first two people didn't show up. So I, I was the first testimony of the day and it, um, it threw me off a little bit, but yeah. I was glad to get it, get it over with. Yeah. Yeah. So unlike me, so I, well, there was three bills that I was testifying against last week and I was there for like 10 hours. So in a way it was kind of good because you can just get it over with and then, you know, stay right. for a little bit and then you're like, all right, cool. My dog's probably hungry or I got to go do this. And then you go leave. Exactly. But tell me what was that experience like when you testified in person and was it eye opening at all? It was eye opening because we had, uh, I'm going to say three women from the DC project that were there that day. And 
I have 107 delegates is what we call them, which are like members of the DC project just here in Connecticut. And uh, unfortunately we didn't have any of them show up to provide testimony. So being the first person of the day, you know, I'm sitting there at the, I go up to the table, I'm sitting at the mic and I have the judiciary committee in front of me. And behind me, you have all these red shirts, which are moms demand action. And then also these orange shirts, which is Connecticut against gun violence. And they're sitting directly behind me. So they're in the optics for, for the media. Mm -hmm. And I have to say it was intimidating. Um, I felt like a very small fish in a very large ocean and it wasn't horrible because obviously I'm here and I lived through it and yeah. I, I'm looking forward to doing it again. Like that was definitely a very, very good introduction because now I can, again, look back at it and see what can I do differently. Mm-hmm. And, but other than that, I, th- I think I, I nailed it. Like I did a very well job. I'm confident with, you know, providing my testimony and the conversations that I was able to have with members of the judiciary committee. I just have to say, you know, going first and having the red and orange shirts behind me, that oh, was just, yeah. I couldn't even imagine. Good. I mean, so for me, so I didn't have, I, I'm not familiar with the orange shirts, which, you know, now you said it's for Connecticut, but same thing, but I was not first. I don't know what I would do if I was first, especially if that was your first time testifying in person, because I even right when I got there, I mean, I was like, I don't know, by the time I testified, there was a bunch of other people that testified, but it also, I don't know what's worse, like doing it in the beginning before, you know, everyone starts to get enraged and you could just feel you know, just like the, what's the word that I'm looking for? Like, it's just very tense in the room or cause you know, throughout the day, it's just getting more and more tense. And then people are starting to realize like what side you're on. So like as a female, I walk into the room, I'm not wearing a certain color that sides with one or the other. They don't know where I'm at. And it's also weird because, and I, I think about this sometimes. So Last week, we parked in front of like over by the Capitol and you have to pay for parking. And there was a girl in front of us and she was having an issue with her credit card. It was like $18 to park and she couldn't it wouldn't go through. So I gave her my credit card. I just was like, here, I'll get it. And she's like, thank you so much. I'm in a hurry. I got to testify. And so my friend that I was with, she's like, oh, what are you testifying for? And she's like, oh, you know, I'm testifying in favor of these proposed gun bills. And so my friend's like, well, why? And she's like, well, my grandma committed suicide. And then my other, you know, so-and-so committed suicide. But then she asked, she's like, what do you, or cause we were like, yeah, we're testifying for the same bill. And then she was like, oh, are you guys for or against it? And we're like, we're against it. And then just then it was like, she kind of just like got tense and we were suddenly looked at as like the enemy, even though I just helped her. Because her right. the machine wouldn't take her credit card. We were totally fine up until then. We were even kind of joking like, oh, we got to go back and get the license plate number and, you know, kind of just like just talking. And right. at that point, it was like she couldn't get away from us quick enough. And it was just, I don't know, it was eye opening. That was kind of weird. Then when I walk into the room, there is all these red shirts and... I knew what that was. I was with another guy. I brought the GM from the range that I'm an investor of. He didn't know what the red shirts meant. And so I had to explain it to him. But it was also eye opening because I'd like to think that I'm doing a lot for like women in general. Not to think that I'm like so great, but I've paved like I I think I'm definitely making some moves in as far as like women even having the ability, you know, I mean, I'm I'm like killing it in a male dominant industry 
I am not using my sexuality to do so. I, you know, I'm encouraging women to like use their brains and, you know, and like doing certain things. I'm, I do a lot for women just in general, as far as like even connecting them to the right people. And, and I'm all about like typically women's rights. I mean, I wouldn't say that I'm like a modern day feminist. I think that's, you know, we've taken that too far, but I do very much like think women need to stick together. And so it's just weird that after my testimony and women saw where I stand on the matter, I mean, I was like kind of even nervous to even go to the restroom a few times because I'm like, how do I know these girls aren't going to try to jump me? Because I was suddenly just seen as like the most disgusting person in the room because I was opposed of these gun bills getting passed. Right. And I mean, in my situation, when I was testifying towards the end of my testimony, I had said something and I could hear over my left shoulder, one of them kind of laugh, like, you know, try to Mm -hmm. hide it. I heard him giggle a little bit and I'm just like, it's so offensive. And then afterwards, you know, I think like the woman directly after me that testified, she's, she was a red shirt, but she was a teacher at a, she's an elementary school teacher for a local town. And listening to her testimony, even though she's a red shirt, I'm like, wow, like I'm really proud of her for being here and actually providing this testimony today. And for her to be a voice here. Like, I think it's important that people are showing up for the conversation. Mm-hmm. And afterwards I approached her in the hallway and I went to go say like, you know, that I respect that you're here and that you're showing up for the conversation. And it's almost like they just wanted to shrug me off and not even have like a handshake or anything. Yeah. And I was just like, I'm like, but we're here to like support each I understand not support each other necessarily, but when we leave this building, we should be able to be on the same team. I'd yeah, say, you like know, we're, we're all Americans at the end of the day. Right. Yeah. I get it. I know. So there's a few things that I'm really like confused about. So the red shirt. So for one Republicans are to, like, that's the color red. And then right. on, I don't know. It's so weird to me, but I've had this idea and I'm like, Hmm, would this be worth doing? But I was thinking, I'm like, what if like the next time I testify, if I just get a bunch of other people like on my side to wear red and we just totally throw off the other side? Like, wouldn't it be like the best marketing like ploy ever if we all just started wearing red and then the people who are wearing red were opposing these proposed bills? Like it would basically shoot their marketing ploy to shit. I think ideally, yes. But at the same time, they they live off of like social media. I know. To, I know. They're just posting the photo. So on an optics yeah, level, it's I know. Good for them. it looks like they have more supporters Yeah, because they won't share your testimony, but they will share that you're wearing red and it'll look for them that you're supporting mm-hmm. them. I know. I mean, it would be pretty funny. I would, I would love to just like have like a camera, like just to capture like people's, you know, their expressions when I get up there and we're all wearing red, but right. Uh, I don't know. One thing that I am confused about that I want to go back and address is you're the state director for Connecticut. You said you have over 100 delegates, but only three people showed up to testify. Is that correct? Correct. The I'm going to say a year ago when I came on as the state director, I think we only had like five or six. Mm -hmm. And in the past year, I've been able to build that list up where they've attended for, I'm going to say like our social events but they haven't really shown up to provide testimony or to meet with representatives. So, and I'm not trying to call anybody out by any means, but at the same time, like this is why we're here is because we're, mm-hmm. we're supposed to be using our voice and making an impact rather than just being a mailing list is how I want to. Absolutely. You know, 
Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. And it is frustrating. And I think that's why I've gotten a little bit more vocal about getting active because again, going and, you know, testifying, it was very eye-opening. And I also realized that a lot of organizations that we donate to, a lot of them weren't putting in the work or they didn't even show up. And, you know, most of us, I'd like to think, you know, on the right side, like we all have jobs where it's hard for us to take off during the week. And then not to mention, we're not just taking off a few hours, but we essentially have to take off the entire day because these drag out for hours and hours. But I think we're at a point now where we can't rely on these organizations or the law to work in our favor because, you know, it's it's common sense and we don't think that they're going to pass or we take our Second Amendment rights for granted. I think we're at a point now where we need to do everything we possibly can and we need as many hands on deck. And last week I had Nephi Cole from NSSF talk and he gave some pretty good pointers and he was like, yeah, I mean, testifying is really great which I still think I'm, I'm encouraging as many people as possible to get up there and testify because, you know, if it makes whoever the committee is, it's going to make their job a lot easier if, you know, everyone who is like in favor of a bill and then they pass it and there's very few people to show up to oppose it. I do right. think that, you know, we need to show that like, no, there's a lot of gun owners or there's a lot of people in general, whether they own a gun or not, that disagree with this. But we also just need to see more numbers involved in general just across the board. I agree. Yesterday, I actually stopped in. There's a a very well-known ammo distributor. You know, they take pride that they're number three in the industry and they're located here in Cheshire, Connecticut. I stopped in yesterday because I had previously had dialogue with their marketing director. This was prior to SHOT Show with collaborating and doing a fundraiser for the DC project. And my request was that any of their online sales, that they just give the option of people rounding up to that next dollar and the extra 37 cents or whatever it is would get donated to the DC project. So not asking for anything from the company itself mm-hmm. other than, you know, give the option of rounding up for the DC project. And that dialogue through email had died out and we even had, you know, we had a meeting set up and everything. And so when I stopped yesterday into the company and the conversation basically was that they have zero interest at all with getting involved on a political level, even though it's nonpartisan. And they said that basically they're they're making money anyways, and it doesn't really benefit them. And if anything, it would hurt them to get involved. And that, I mean, I hate to be blunt, but that kind of pissed me off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, I'm literally just listening to this. I'm like getting enraged. I, I, I was very upset about it. And, you know, and then I, I had even talked to them about the opportunity with doing training down at WAFT and like collaborating with that. And, you know, the woman said, well, the owner here, you know, he built this company and he actually, if he wanted to go train somewhere, he could go train anywhere else for free. He can go to Ridgeline for free. He can go, you know, starts naming all these different facilities. Like, why would we need to go train with your facility by donating money. And instead we already have all these other facilities. So I was like, okay. And she was just very, she shut it down. Like she had zero interest at all in, you know, showing up. We were talking about the CCDL, which is like the Connecticut version of the DC project, but it's, you know, men and women. So we were talking about the CCDL and she's like, when the CCDL comes in here, we actually don't even allow for them to put out their stuff. So they have zero interest at all. Wow. And her, her reasoning is, is that we're making money anyways. And it doesn't make sense for us to do that. That is so, so stupid. 
I mean, that's so obviously, you know, as more and more bills get passed and I mean, even like the semi-automatic bill that was proposed in Colorado, they essentially, if it comes out the way that it's written, that the way that we think it's going to be written, they essentially want to ban like a majority of semi-automatic handguns. We're not just talking about, okay, you know, your AR, your AK, we're talking about like majority of the handguns out there so it's like they want us to just sit here and use revolvers like to protect ourselves that's what i don't understand is a lot of these companies and i've had quite a few companies over time you know get on my podcast i interviewed them when it comes to the political section they'll tell me offline like hey we don't want to talk about politics but like you can cover it and it just it pisses me off because i'm like what do you mean you don't want to talk about politics it's One thing, if we're just like, hey, you know, are you for against abortion? Are you for, you know, like stuff that I could understand? Okay, maybe there's like mixed feelings on. But like this is you're on a gun related podcast. You're making money off the gun industry. Why aren't you protecting the industry that like you have no problem collecting money from them and making money off of them? But you're not going to sit here and protect them and like, you know, have a voice. And it just enrages me. And I'm sure you don't want to say like who that ammo company is. No, but I mean, that's why I, I did say they're from Cheshire, Connecticut. <laughs> so yeah, but that I appreciate there. that. Uh, but I, I won't say the name of the company by any means because, yeah. you know, there's people that work there that are friends of mine and mm-hmm. they, you know. Yeah. Just, but they also, before that, you guys, they were rounding up every dollar or giving people the option to collecting money to donate no. to? Nope. So... I, I had contacted them in January before SHOT Show and we had the dialogue going back and forth via email that we were going to meet. And then the the woman responded saying, um, actually, I, I forgot. I'm going to be at SHOT Show. Let's plan for the following week. So we, you know, we had it scheduled that we were going to collaborate for the DC project and that that was going to be the deal, you know, and that, and then she just stopped responding. You know, I, I followed up with her after shot show and she just didn't respond at all. So I was like, well, that's kind of weird. You know, it's like going on a date and not hearing back from the person I'm going to say. Yeah. So I, but instead I showed up yesterday and I spent, you know, I, I went in and I spent $50 on a pair of uh, pants because I'm like, Oh, I'll, I'll have a reason to go in here. Yeah. Um, bought the pants. And then while I was at the counter, I was like, Hey, by the way, this conversation I had going on previously. And then I was completely shot down zero interest at all in supporting. And the, again, the, the owner of the company isn't really into guns himself and he doesn't really want to do training, but if he did, he would. And that, you know, this girl's boyfriend is a green beret and that if she wanted specific training, she'd use him. So just completely shut down the DC project as if we're were unworthy of their collaboration. Wow. That's ridiculous. Right. I'm going to take another quick break and talk about Caldwell. You know what's not fun? Shooting long distances and not knowing if you're hitting your target. But Caldwell has a bunch of new targets out that make it a lot easier to determine if you've hit your target, including the AR-500 swinging target, so that you can literally see it swing when you hit the target. It's a 3.8 plate, and it swings for good visual indication and sound. 
It has steel legs and a crossbar that can be replaced with rebar if you happen to damage them over time. The stand breaks down for easy transport. Best of all, it's available for $99.99. But if you use the code GUNFUNNY10, all one word, you're going to get 10% off. And that is caldwellshooting.com. I'm going to backtrack just a little bit and talk about DC Project. And you are the state director for Connecticut. Can you just kind of tell me what that entails? Absolutely. I attend festivals and events as well as host meet and greets to recruit delegates. So delegates would be our our women that are showing up to talk to representatives. The biggest goal I have is to have as many voices and faith to wash out that Red Sea that we're talking about with the Moms Demand Action shirts within the hearings on both the state and federal level. I communicate with local gun stores for their support. I support local small businesses. I'm, I'm a huge supporter of small businesses collaborating with fundraisers. So they're getting advertising through me for free, basically for their business in return, they're raising funds for the DC project. I provide testimony, both verbal in, if I can't, you know, if I can't attend in person, I'm always providing a written testimony, which I think everybody should be doing, not mm-hmm. just if you're in a, in a state. And I also every year, once a year, usually in the fall, all 50 of our state delegates, along with the DC Project Board, we had a trip to Washington, DC, where we meet with our representatives and our senators to talk about potential bills that would be coming up. Just having that communication, having that conversation, showing up and showing that our voice really does matter and Mm -hmm. hoping that they listen. So that's what we do. Nice. Okay, cool. And if anybody wants to get involved, whether it's in Connecticut or within the United States, uh, what are some things that they can do? So any state that you live in, you would just go to dcproject.info and click join. And you would be able to basically, it's completely free to join and you would end up being on what we call kind of like a mailing list, but you would receive updates from your state director on upcoming events within your state. Or if there's anything going on on a federal level, as far as upcoming bills, then that's where you'd get that all of that information from. Hmm. Okay, nice. Mary, I want to touch upon some of the simunition training that you do, which I think is actually like a great way to do like scenario training. And I, I mean, if anybody, if any of my listeners are like listening, if you've ever been hit with a simunition round, it definitely doesn't tickle. It's all the more reason to take it seriously and you don't want to get hit, but It also kind of gives you more of that like real life feel for, you know, if you were in like an active shooter situation and so forth. But how did you get started in that? Like, how long have you been doing it and what does it entail? Absolutely. So I about a year ago, I ended up taking a class in Florida at WAFT with the simulation, the simulation founder, Ken Murray. Mm hmm. And I now work alongside some of the most impressive instructors at WAFT. So it was a, it was a weekend course that I took with Ken, myself, and I think it was like 10 other people in the class. And I have to say that doing scenario training is probably the most fun that I have when it comes to firearms in general, like, because you're learning so much, but you also have to have that is that critical thinking aspect of it. So that's why I appreciate it so much. So what we do at WAFT is the courses are from two to three days. You have an option of two days or three days. And each day is eight hours of training. Breakfast is included in the morning. And then you have lunch that is also included, you know, around noon, one o'clock. But other than that, you do get a full eight hours of scenario training. Wow. 
And although we focus a lot on this ammunition training, we do have a lot of people that come through that they don't carry a gun in their everyday life. So prior to each class, we get the cliff notes on our clients, their lifestyles, their habits, and we customize each class to that person. So we take into account if they carry a gun or if we need to be training with them on how to maybe use a flashlight or how to use a knife or if it's going to be hand-to-hand combat instead. So I like referring to it as basically it's like stranger danger instruction, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's amplified and it's in a controlled environment. So our scenarios, they may be in low light conditions where you're having to get to your vehicle safely and efficiently, yet you are maybe then approached by somebody that's looking for money or a ride somewhere, or even worse, if they're trying to hijack your car or threaten your life. So that's one type of scenario that we would do. Or there's other scenarios where we have a we have a coffee shop where you may be grabbing a bite to eat with your friend or your child. And then all hell just breaks loose and you're having to decide, you know, is it something that you're going to get involved in? Is it going to be something that you're going to walk away from? Or are you automatically being put into a position where you're involved, whether you choose to be or not? Mm-hmm. We mock gas stations. So there's like six different pumps. You would drive your vehicle up. And again, there might be somebody that's asked, asked for cash or maybe they want to wash windows for like a couple bucks. And again, might have somebody that's trying to be a little bit more aggressive and steal your vehicle. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. It's also interesting that you train people that like may not carry guns and like what they can do, which is something that I guess I never thought of. I just automatically, you think simunition and it's like, oh, so people can train to be more of like an operator, but I didn't even think about, you know, people wanting training, even if they're not carrying a gun. Yeah, absolutely. And th- I'm going to say probably like 50% of our students that come through, they, you know, we'll have like a family that comes through and maybe the father, you know, the husband ends up having a firearm, but maybe the wife isn't comfortable with one. So we teach her, you know, how do you read other people's, their behavior, how, you know, how they're acting when you're walking through a parking lot, how to read that and what you can do again with the flashlight, you know, flashing it in their eyes and like creating distance or, if it ends up coming down to hand-to-hand combat, stuff like that. So sometimes, yeah, I'm going to say about half of our clients don't carry a firearm. Mm-hmm. Wow. And because this is a training facility, you know, we don't, we're not strictly focused just on guns. Yes, that's a huge majority of it, but not, every, you know, firearms aren't for everybody. Mm-hmm. I would never say that everyone should own one. So that's one thing I really appreciate about WAFT is that it's really inclusive. We have, we have teenagers that come through there. We teach them like, if somebody approaches you, like, how do you, how do you avoid them? Or maybe you don't have to avoid them. Maybe it's just somebody asking just for the time, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Interesting. I'm going to take another quick break. Talk about IWI. If you guys are looking for a single slash a double action pistol, definitely check out the Jericho Enhanced It's the latest version of the popular Jericho with a number of enhancements. The new version has a new frame with adjustable back straps, an accessory rail, a new hammer and trigger profile. In a lot of ways, it looks a lot like a hammer fried version of the Masada. They come with two 17 round mags and Nova sights. Best of all, MSRP on these is only $559. 
It's really a great gun, especially for the price. If you want to check this out, head on over to IWI.us. Also, if you find anything in their web store, remember to use the coupon code GUNFUNNY15, all one word, and that's getting you 15% off your entire order. Let's switch it up a little bit and talk about your marketing company. What is it called? Marketing company, it's called Lomag Marketing and Consulting. Okay. And is it mostly like firearm stuff that you cover or are you covering stuff for like all different kinds of companies? Anybody who comes to you and they're like, hey, we need eyes on, you know, our company or this project and we need your help. It's honestly all different types of companies. It started with more so small businesses here in Connecticut. So restaurants, wedding venues, small shops. They were looking for not just digital marketing, but ways to grow their business. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up having, you know, Kinetic Development Group. They make the attachment pieces for scars. They ended up reaching out to me. They're located here in Connecticut. There's um, an ammo company in Oxford, Connecticut that I've worked with. So I've ended up having a few handfuls, you know, probably like a dozen clients within the gun industry. So mm-hmm. it's a little bit all over the place. I, I even have a client that is um, canine training. So so it's a little bit of everything I'm going to say, but it's, it is all small businesses a couple larger businesses, but for the most part, I focus on small businesses. Nice. And within your marketing company, what are some of the things that you cover? Like what is, you know, I mean, you say marketing and a lot of people are like, oh, they think one thing or the other, but what is it that you specialize in? So the most of my requests that I receive are for digital marketing or social media marketing. Mm-hmm. But I find that the most ROI when I basically play love connection between these small businesses or entrepreneurs is that when I'm connecting them person to person rather than strictly relying on social media, you know, Mm -hmm. right now everyone's on social media, like, Oh, how many likes can I get? Like how many shares I got? And I'm like, but is that paying your bills? So for example, one of my most recent clients, Luso timepieces, um, they reproached me seeking consulting. They sell luxury watches. So the fancy watches like Rolexes, and things that I, I personally could not afford on my budget, but right. you have a market. So yeah. one of the owners, Richie, he has the social media established, but he has struggled with building up that client base. So my journey with him has been introducing him to unconventional ways of networking, which now has him in positions where he's being invited to prestige networking events and he's rubbing elbows with professional athletes, models, and celebrities. So I emphasize to my clients that the again those likes and shares on the gram they only get you those digital insights but the real value comes when you when you find ways to connect with human beings and that's those face-to-face conversations because again we we all know that the the gram isn't going to pay your bills so mm-hmm. yeah very interesting all right i think i covered everything for people who want to follow you, maybe they're interested in, you know, your marketing services or supporting DC project or just following you on social media, what's the best way to contact you? The best way to contact me would be on Instagram. It's everything about dot Mary. Instead of there's something about Mary, it's really there's there's literally everything about Mary. That's <laughs> the way I like to look at it. So it's everything about dot Mary and that's on Instagram. All right. Perfect. All right. Moving on with the rest of the show, which I cut a little short just because this interview went pretty long. Tactic Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now.
I do really quickly want to talk about HK unveiling the SFP9CC. Speculation has been going on for several years now of a microcompact from HK, and they finally revealed it at Enforce Tech in Germany a couple of weeks ago. The SFP9CC, it looks a lot like the VP9, but slimmed down to go head-to-head, I guess, with the P365, the Shield Plus, and other micros on the market. It's reportedly been in development for at least three years, and HK is finally ready to unveil it, though it won't be available until the fourth quarter this year. It shares a lot of similar features from the VP9, like similar look and feel, just slightly slimmer. It even has the rear charging handles like the VP9, Takedown is also similar where you remove the mag, lock the slide back, and then rotate the takedown lever. It does hold 10 rounds. They're a flush mag, so it, you know, stacks up to similar micros. Although I'd say, you know, maybe, well, 10 rounds, I mean, compared to like the P365, which I think is like 12 or 13, the Hellcat. So it's like a little less, but for those people who are like diehard HK fans or you really like the VP9, this might just be the perfect addition. And I think it also, you can change out the grip. So if you want, you know, depending on your hand size, it includes different back straps. If you wanted to change that out, you can, depending on your hand size. It's planned in multiple configurations, including optic ready and plain irons. The optic ready version reportedly uses the Glock MOS pattern system. No word yet on price, but given the competitiveness of the VP9, I had imagined it's probably going to be similar priced. If anyone is interested in that, just definitely keep an eye out. But like I said, it's not going to come out until around like the fourth quarter. That's what, you know, that's what I've heard. But yeah, other than that, when it does come out, I'd love to get my hands on one. Franklin Armory. Mary, I have to ask, have you ever shot a binary trigger before? I have not. It's so much fun. It's It actually surprises me by how many guests I have on the show. And, you know, and it's usually it's people from all over the gun industry. And a lot of them have not shot a binary trigger. And it's like, I don't know. I mean, for one, I feel like Franklin Army, when they came out with the binary trigger, it just kind of gave the middle finger to the ATF, which, you know, I have to somewhat appreciate but just the design behind it i mean it's just i don't know they've they've done such a great job the easiest one i would say is they have like a drop-in ar trigger and it's really easy to install just like most normal drop-in ar triggers it does come with so there's when you click on their website there's a c and then an s so c is for curved s is for straight that's literally the only difference but you can get them on sale for roughly, I think it's like 387 or something like that. But just know that if you use the code AVA, that's A-V-A, you're going to get 10% off your entire order. And they also have binary triggers for a bunch of other guns. If you're not into putting a, a binary trigger into that gun, maybe you want something else instead. But definitely check out what they have. Uh, there's, there's lots out there. And that is franklinarmory.com. All right, it's time to wrap up. So nobody has left a review. I don't know what's going on. I feel like the last couple of shows have definitely been home runs. So I'm not sure why people aren't leaving reviews, but I would love to hear from you. And also, if you want to find like me on social media, just head on over to gunfunny.com. There's links to everything 
Also, if you enjoy the show and you want to support it, consider becoming a Patreon. You could do so at gunfunny.com. Just click on the support the show link. Also, Blown Deadline, he's giving away a $300 gift certificate to a lucky Patreon each month. And $5 and up Patreons get a Patreon-only patch after three months, which will never be for sale. So if anybody has that patch, you know that they are or were at one point a Patreon. And then also want to thank the $25 Patreons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran 8888, Sake Holsters, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Daniel Treadwell, Keith Callamore, Daniel Lee, Nick Theodosian, Tristan Smith, and Melissa Ridings. And then King of the Patreon is Jon Snow. And Mary, thank you again for your time on the show, for everything that you're doing, especially to you know preserve our Second Amendment rights. Can you just remind people once again, if they're interested in contacting you about your services or they just want to follow you in your journeys, what is your Instagram handle again? My Instagram handle is everything about dot Mary. All right. Perfect. All right, guys. Well, I will talk to you next week. And Mary, thanks again. Thank you so much. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact.